Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So like Maggie said, today we are closing out our series called F-Bomb. And some of you, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you're very grateful that we're not going to talk about forgiveness anymore. Because to be honest, I thought, uh, as we wrestled through this series, I thought about adding another Sunday in this series, but I decided it was best to leave this series at three weeks and talk about this topic again in the future. And the reason for that is because so many of us are struggling with forgiveness, and I think it's something that we need to wrestle with consistently. And so if you're joining us for the first time or you happen to miss a week, one thing I would encourage you to do is, is go on to our podcast or hop on YouTube to listen to the weeks that you missed. If you search for Collective Church on the podcast app or Google Play, you'll find us for video. If you follow us on Facebook, you can go to our website and hit the media page. You can watch it there. And the reason why is because this series is one big picture, right? All three weeks lead up or kind of connect together, and the first two lead up to this week and and the forgiveness that we're talking about today. And so if you missed one, I would encourage you to catch up because I feel like if you miss, you're missing a very important part of this topic of forgiveness. As we start today, I want to tell you an intense story that illustrates the forgiveness that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And to be honest, if you read Christian books, this is one to read. Most Christian books, you read the first chapter, second chapter. If you keep reading, it's the same chapter over and over and over and over again. And for Philip Yancey, when he wrote this book, What's So Amazing About Grace? That is not what it feels like, but ultimately it's a great book about how good God is and how big grace can be. And so Yancey uh, was a writer ahead of time uh, for a long time, and eventually he wrote this book and gained a ton of popularity, and so now he gets to speak, and every time he speaks, people ask him about forgiveness. And he said the most extreme example of forgiveness that he'd ever seen was in South Africa following the fall of apartheid. Apartheid is a systematic segregation or discrimination on grounds of race, and it was a big issue that plagued South Africa, and they still feel the tension, and they still feel the results of that today. So when Nelson Mandela had risen to power uh, to promote healing, he instituted something that's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the rules were very simple. There had been a lot of atrocities done in the name of apartheid. But anyone who had done these atrocities because the power they had, because they happened to be white, could come before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, led by Bishop Desmond Tutu. They could confess what they had done. And because of that, they would not be prosecuted for their crimes. Legally, they would be off the hook if they apologized. And so this was quite controversial. As you can imagine, there's still black South Africans who think that Mandela made a mistake and Bishop Desmond Tutu made a mistake by allowing this to happen. But the reality is it did bring some healing. And during this time, these these trials would go on and they'd actually televise them. And so the nation watched as case after case was broadcast on live television of people admitting and testifying to the atrocities that they had done and watch them receive forgiveness. One of the most horrific stories that came out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was about a man named Officer Vanderbrook. Vanderbrook was an Afrikaans police officer in charge of a certain township. And one day he went to investigate a 16-year-old boy who had been known for causing trouble against the government. And so Vanderbrook went there uh, with a few of his police officers and called the young boy out front. The boy's mother also came out and stood on the porch. And in the front yard, as his mother watched, Vanderbrook shot and killed her 16-year-old son. Not only did they do that, but when he was dead, they actually lit his body on fire. 
And to make it burn faster, they stood around it and they poked it and they prodded it so that it would burn like a campfire and burn quicker. But that wasn't all they did. After a few weeks, they came back and arrested the husband. And the woman wasn't sure what he had done. They didn't offer an explanation. They just took him away. And she didn't see him again for four years. And in that time, there wasn't a letter. There wasn't an explanation. There wasn't even a trial. But four years later, Vanderbrook and his officers returned to the house and asked her if she wanted to see her husband. Although she was nervous and kind of assumed that they would hurt her, she said yes, because she knew if she had the opportunity to see her husband again, she wanted to see him. And she assumed he was dead, but she didn't care. She just wanted to see him one last time. So they put her in a car and they drove her to wherever he was being held and he was alive. She started crying tears of joy because she never thought she would see him again. But then they grabbed her husband, they bound him up, and they lit him on fire and they burned him to death in front of his wife. As you can imagine, the courtroom is completely silent as they listen to this detailed testimony. But Vanderbrook knew the rules and he knew what he had to do, and so he stood up and he said, I'm very sorry, I beg your forgiveness. But part of the rules of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was that the victim was actually given the opportunity to speak. And so this woman, who was very old at this point, walked up front. She looked Vanderbrook, the man who had taken everything from her, her child and her husband, and she said, I have three things I want to say to you. So first of all, I want you to tell me where you buried the remains of my husband and my son, because I'd like to give them a proper burial. And Vanderbrook nodded yes. He said, second, I want to forgive you. He said, you don't deserve it, but God forgave me and I don't deserve it. So I want to give you the same forgiveness that he's given to me. She said, she said third, I'm an old woman, but I have a lot of love left to give. You took away the people that I love most. Would you be willing to come to my house one day a week so I could pour out some of the love I have left on you? And you can imagine the courtroom is still completely silent. And then the silence was broken when someone from the back of the room started singing a song, a song that was written a few hundred years ago by a slave trader who knew about forgiveness. They started singing Amazing Grace. So one person at the back of the room starts singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Everyone in the courtroom was overcome by the moment and joined in singing along. The only person that wasn't singing was Officer Vanderbrook. And the reason why is because he had fainted. He'd been so overcome by the event that he actually passed out. When Yancey tells this story, he says that he likes to think that Officer Vanderbrook was knocked unconscious by grace. And in this series, that's the kind of forgiveness that we've been talking about. It's the kind of forgiveness that we've been challenging our church to wrestle with. You know, in week one, we asked, what are the chains that you carry because of the things that other people have done to you? We talked about how the only way to get rid of those chains, the only way to be released from that bondage is to forgive those people. But the reality is, I think a lot of us, when we hear that and we struggle with that, and we think about our own brokenness and we think about our own pain, we struggle to actually think that we can do that. We say, I can't do that. I wouldn't have done that if I was the woman in this story because I'm facing similar situations that aren't even as extreme. They feel extreme for us, but they're not as extreme as that woman, and I can't forgive. And so what we've done over the last two weeks is that I've tried to give you the best arguments from the Bible and everyday life that explain how and why you should forgive. What we're talking about today is the part that it all hangs on, because the things that we have talked about, which forgiveness being releasing your right to retaliate and forgiveness being releasing your hope for a better past, those are important but you won't fully be able to forgive unless you have received forgiveness yourself. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. And the scripture that we start with is in Colossians 3, and this is what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And I think when we read that, we recognize that that's a good way to live. I don't know many people who would say that they don't want compassion, or they don't want humility, or they don't want peace, or they don't want patience in their life, and that sounds great. But there's actually a phrase in the middle of this of the scripture that I cut out that all of it hangs on, and here's what it says. All of this matters because it says this. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the linchpin. This is what this whole series and this whole topic of forgiveness hinges on. First two weeks, we talked about forgiveness, and I taught how the Bible teaches us to forgive because that's the best way to live. I said, even if you're an atheist or you're doubtful or you're a skeptic, you should still pursue forgiveness because you will feel peace because of that. But the Bible teaches us that we do that in light of the fact that God can forgive us. But the problem is, and the reason why a lot of people struggle with forgiveness, and the reason why there's tension in your hearts, and the problem is that a lot of you have never experienced that forgiveness in your own life. And a lot of you have actually never experienced that forgiveness when it comes to God, because you've never actually asked God to forgive you for the things that have gone wrong in your life. And so we know God forgives everyone. God sent his son so that everyone could have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. But it's only given to those who actually call on Jesus' name and choose to accept it. Forgiveness is for everyone, but you still have to choose to be open and honest with yourself enough to take it. So I'm just going to be honest. My goal today is to convince you, if you are someone who has not started following Jesus, my goal today is to convince you to receive his forgiveness. I'm just going to tell you up front, that's exactly what my my hope is today as we finish up this series. And so I want to very briefly and clearly explain to you the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus came to die for our sin. So we know that we are sinners in need of grace. Sin is an archery term that actually means missing the mark. But we miss the mark because God teaches us through the Bible the best way to live, the best way to be in relationships, the best way to handle our money, the best way to deal with pain. But when we choose to walk outside of what God teaches, we miss the mark. We sin. And this sin comes from selfishness. I think if we're all being honest, we would say that we are selfish people. And throughout your whole life, you have chosen to do what is best for you. And that's what separates us from a holy God. In fact, it creates this chasm that we actually cannot cross. But the good news is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for you. Here's how the Bible explains it, Romans 3. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Now this is very important. Okay, when this starts, it is saying there is no to-do list that you can do to keep yourself and make yourself right with God. There is not a checklist. There's not a list of things that you have to do. In the Old Testament, there were things that God would tell his people, do these things, and this is how you are holy, but they fell short. And the reality is the Old Testament, the reason why it was set up that way is so we knew we would fall short. So we knew we'd have that tension. We knew we'd need a savior, someone else who can bridge that gap for us. A lot of times we like to feel like if we just do enough good things, then we experience that forgiveness. But it teaches us right here, it's not about a list. Jesus got rid of that list. The story, or the passage continues. 
For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. We all have done it. It's not, you're not in a place where other people around here are saying, hey, I didn't sin. You're in a room full of people who realize that we have all fallen short. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And it finishes with this. It says, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. For a lot of you, this is what you have been looking for your whole life. This is the freedom that you've been hoping for. This is the peace that you've been longing for. Before my wife and I ever moved up to Frederick to start this church, we would pray every single night that people in this city would wake up the next morning feeling like something was off. We would pray that people would wake up longing for something more. We'd pray that somehow those people who felt that gap, who felt that something was missing in their life, would someday end up in this church so we could talk to them about the fact that we know that you feel empty, we know you have a desire for something more, and the answer is Jesus. And some of you are here today because of that feeling. You woke up this morning and you feel like something is missing. Something is off. No matter what you do, you don't have peace. You don't have freedom. This is what you are looking for. But for many of you, there's some things that stand in the way. There's something stopping you from receiving the forgiveness that God offers. I think there are two major things that stand in our way from totally accepting that forgiveness, not partially accepting it, but saying, I'm going to take all of this on, and I'm going to recognize that Jesus can forgive us. And both of these come from bad theology and bad teaching. There's a phrase that some of you cling to that's bad theology. And what this means is it doesn't actually jive with Jesus' teaching. It doesn't mix well, it doesn't go well with the way Jesus teaches and the way Jesus tells us peace will come. And this phrase doesn't work with God's teaching, but our world has taught us this phrase. So to no fault of your own, you have adopted it. But if you're being honest, you know that it holds you captive. It has you in bondage, and it's a lie from hell. And here it is. It's the idea that I can't forgive myself. I say it all the time. I just can't forgive myself. I'll hear people I say, or people I respect say it all the time. And they'll say, I know that God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And here's the thing, and hopefully this brings you some relief today. You cannot forgive yourself. You can't. You are right. It's impossible to forgive yourself because only God can forgive you. You are incapable of forgiving yourself, and here's why. Real forgiveness always involves a cost. The example that Tim Keller uses is called the mailbox illustration. And so if you have me over for dinner at your house, and as I'm pulling into your driveway, I run over your mailbox, you cannot forgive me, and then I have to buy you a new mailbox. Or you can forgive me, and you buy a new mailbox. Either way, someone has to buy a mailbox. The cost has to be paid for, so the debt can no longer exist. Or think about it th this way. Most of us understand this completely. You take out student loans or a loan to buy a car. There's a debt. And you can decide to forgive yourself of that debt. But if you went to the bank and said, hey, I forgave myself, they'll say, that's great. Who's paying for your car? Because the reality is when there is a debt and when forgiveness can be offered, a debt has to be paid. If you pay it yourself, that's not forgiveness. That's just paying off a loan. Forgiveness is releasing the debt as if it has been paid. And so when Jesus offers you forgiveness, he has paid the penalty for your sin. 
That's what he did on a cross. And so it's logically impossible for you to forgive yourself. That's what people say, I need to forgive myself. But what does that mean? Does that mean you just let it go? Pretend like it never happened? Ignore it? Act like it wasn't a big deal? The reality is what you need is someone in your own life who can say, I will take your guilt. I will pay the penalty for what you did. I will forgive you. And this is why we need Jesus. Because there are things that happened in your past. There are things that you caused, but you cannot forgive yourself. You cannot pay that debt. It's impossible. Scripture puts it this way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, meaning that the most important driving force in your life is Jesus. He is at the center of everything that you do. He leads your relationships. He leads the decisions that you make financially. He, make, he leads the decisions that you make in every part of your life. If you are a follower of Jesus but you struggle with guilt, or if you struggle with the idea of not being able to forgive yourself, you have not embraced grace, the grace of Jesus, like he wants you to. He died to set us free. He didn't die so we could be partially in bondage for the rest of our lives. He doesn't want you to carry around the guilt of your past or the brokenness of your childhood or the pain that you have caused other people. He said he wants to carry your burden. And if you are a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life, you said, okay, you want to carry my burden? Here it is. But some of you have made decisions in your life to take part of that burden back. You've decided there's pain that you have caused, and you don't fully trust that God can forgive it, so you're going to hold on to it until someday you realize that you can figure out a way for forgiveness. But for those of you who feel that way, and for those of you who struggle with this, you know that it is crushing you that it is crushing you, it is taking away from the decisions that you make in your own life, it is hurting your relationships, it is hurting your relationship with God. And you are doing that because you don't fully trust that God has the ability to forgive and set you free. And for some of you that are in that place, there may be some emotional healing that needs to take place. There may need to be some therapy that helps you intellectually come to grips with what happened, and you may need to go to counseling, and that's okay. You may need to apologize to the person you hurt to seek out reconciliation. But if you're in a place where you're trying to figure out, how do I forgive myself? You are trying to do something that God doesn't want you to do. You are trying to pay a debt that only Jesus can pay. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the point I'm trying to make is that whatever guilt you're holding on to, whatever brokenness that you have, whatever pain that you are trying to work through in your own life, the only person that can take that away and truly set you free is Jesus. He's the only one who can do it because he was the perfect sacrifice for our selfishness. The second reason why some of you struggle to receive forgiveness is that you're mad at God. There's pain in your life, there's brokenness in your life, there's frustration in your life, and you believe that it's God's fault. But you're blaming God for pain in your life that he didn't cause. I can't tell you how often I talk to people who are going through divorce or suffering through the loss of a family member or have been physically or emotionally hurt by someone in their life, and they believe that this is God's fault. But we know that God never intended for us to experience pain. Pain was not part of God's plan. When God created this and put it all together, pain was not on the checklist. That was not something he brought into the world. Pain was brought into the world by the selfishness of Adam and Eve. So pain and brokenness entered the world when Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God. They were selfish. And the rest of God's story, the rest of what we read in the Bible, the rest of what we see is God's endless pursuit of us and his desire to be in a relationship with us so that we can be set free. 
Proverbs 19.3 says this, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. For some of you, the pain you feel is because you have decided to be selfish. You've decided that God's way wasn't best, and there's pain. But instead of receiving forgiveness, you blame God, and your heart rages against the Lord. You blame God, but this goes against the nature of God. God did not cause the pain that is in your life. Hebrews 13.5 says this, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Psalm 34.18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 uh, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Matthew 28.20, surely I am with you till the end of the ages. uh, Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is the character of God. That is who God is. And there is nothing, there's nothing in Scripture that teaches us that it's any different. And so if you are experiencing pain, and you are struggling with forgiveness, whether that's receiving it or even giving it, and God is the barrier, that's because you let that be the barrier. That's because you've decided that God hurt you when in fact somebody else did. It's not God's fault that your husband hurt you. It's not God's fault that you're still single. It's not God's fault that you're struggling. God doesn't sit up in heaven and create ways to bring us pain. Pain wasn't a part of God's plan. God's plan was that we would be one with him from the beginning. And so today, when you experience pain or brokenness or sorrow, it's easier to blame God. It's easier to think that this is God's fault because we want to justify the pain that someone else brought into our life. But the problem with this thinking is that you believe that God is this puppet master up in heaven, pulling these strings, forcing these things to happen. But everything we know about God teaches us that God is a father who loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Everything else that happens is just called life. Right? Life is hard. People hurt people. It's selfishness. So some of you are struggling to forgive others because you're struggling with God. You're blaming God for the pain in your life that he didn't cause, and you're mad at God. God wants nothing more than for you to live freely and lightly. And he proves that by sending his own child to die in your place. And if you think about it, why would God send his own son to die so that we can be right with God, so that we can spend eternity with him if his whole entire goal was to bring us pain? It's just not who he is. And for some of you, as you struggle with that, if you can't recognize God's love for you, forgiveness will never make sense. It just will never make sense to you. So today, if you're one of those people, you need to stop blaming God for the pain in your life. You need to stop putting up walls and refusing to let God in. You need to take down those barriers and receive the love and grace and forgiveness that God offers. And here's how you do that. So for those of you who are in that place, this is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that the way you give your life to Jesus and receive this forgiveness is by repenting and being baptized. Repentance means to change your mind. And if you think about it, sin comes from selfishness. And so repentance is saying, I'm not the leader of my life anymore. I don't think I know what's best for me. Therefore, I'm going to change the way I do things. I'm going to put God first. Baptism is something that we celebrate all the, all the time here. It's immersion in water, which represents the death of your old self and the raising up of your new self. And so if you want to obey what Scripture says, and if you want to obey what Jesus actually led the way in, we want you to take that step. If you are here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never received that forgiveness, my hope is that you take that step. 
I've been praying that you would take that step. We started this church to create space for people to take that step and experience that freedom and receive that forgiveness. And for some of you, you're in a place where you've loved Jesus for a long time and you're trying to follow him, but you've never actually taken the step of baptism and obeyed what Jesus taught and followed his lead. Jesus was baptized. It wasn't something that he commanded to us. It wasn't something he said, hey, you should do this, but I'm not doing it myself. Jesus set the tone in it and did it. So if you're one of those people, I want to challenge you to get baptized out of obedience. You say that you trust God. Trust it all the way. And for those of you who are starting to feel uncomfortable, which I understand there are some of you right now that feel very uncomfortable, I know you're already thinking through the reasons why you don't want to take that step. You're already trying to figure out why you don't want to get baptized, why you don't want to receive that forgiveness, why you don't want to receive that peace. And here's the thing, you have excuses. And some of you will say that you're just too busy. What you're actually saying is Jesus isn't really a priority. Some of you will say that you're afraid of what other people will think. What you're actually saying is that people's opinions or your own fears are bigger than what God's grace can be. Some of you will say you don't feel like you're good enough. If you say that, you're missing the point. None of us are good enough. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need grace. And some of you say you're just not ready. But the reality is you want to keep sinning. You know that if you take this step, you're going to have to come face to face with the fact that you want to continue to meet girls online and sleep with them. Or you are afraid that you're going to have to come face to face with the fact that you have an addiction in your life that you can't get rid of. Or you're going to have to come face to face with the lies that you tell in order to inflate your own ego. And some of you are going to say that you're going to need some time to pray about it. This is my favorite thing that people say in the church. They say, I need, I need to pray about this. This is one of the most ridiculous excuses I've ever heard in my life. You don't need to pray about what Scripture tells us to do. We know. God tells us. When you take that moment, you say, hey, I'm going to pray about this. God already told us what to do. You are choosing to ignore what God taught us in Scripture and decide on your own. Maybe God will change his mind. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray about how to love people. Jesus teaches us that. You don't need to go home and think, I need to pray, God, how do I love people well? We have an example. You don't need to pray about forgiving people. So over the last two weeks, as you've wrestled with that and you've gone home and you've tried to figure out, like, God, do I need to forgive this person? The answer is yes. We know the answer is yes. But still a lot of times we put up that barrier and think, oh, I'm going to talk to God. Maybe he'll tell me something different because I really don't want to do this. And you don't need to pray about baptism. Because scripture teaches us how to respond if you need time to pray, you're acting as if God is going to tell you something different than what he taught us in Scripture. You're acting as if God's going to tell us something different than what he did in his own life. And so if you're looking for an excuse, you should stop. There is one excuse, though, that I think is valid. And I don't like that it's true. Uh, it's the one valid reason why you should not give your life to Jesus and, and receive the forgiveness that he offers. And the point of today is not for me to talk you into something. If I'm going to talk you into it, there's no power in that, and the decision needs to be yours. And so don't do it because I'm telling you to do it. Do it because you feel like that's the decision you need to make. But there's one valid excuse, and the excuse is this, that you want to be in charge. That is a valid reason. See, I don't want you to just get baptized. There's no power in getting wet. The physical act of baptism represents a humble and repentant spirit that's going to let God wash you clean. And if sin is selfishness, in order to receive God's forgiveness, it requires you to give your life to him. But if you want to be in charge, you cannot give your life to him. You shouldn't. It won't work. But if you're one of those people, the question I want you to wrestle with is, how is being in charge working out for you? If you are doing okay ruling your own universe, and you have hope and peace and eternal security, and you are taken care of and you have purpose, then go for it. Keep being in charge. 
But when you reach a place where you need hope beyond yourself, where you can't do it anymore, where the relationships around you need grace bigger than what you can manufacture and than what you can give, the answer is to give up and give your life to Jesus. This is why I think Jesus instituted baptism. It's humbling. And let's be honest, it's weird. There's nothing else like that in life where you're dunked in water for any reason. And it's bizarre. But it's also brilliant because to follow Jesus means humbling yourself for the rest of your life. And if you can't do it in heated water, in a safe environment, with a ton of people cheering you on, how are you going to walk out those doors when people are actually against you? Over the next few years, until the woman passed away, Officer Vanderbrook would come once a week just as he promised. And there was still pain. There was still remorse. But there was forgiveness. So what would it take for you to forgive people that have hurt you? What would it take for you to let them into your house and show them that forgiveness? The only way that the woman in this story could actually offer forgiveness and mean it is because she herself had experienced forgiveness that she didn't deserve. It's because she herself had experienced that freedom that Jesus offers, that she herself knew that God calls us to forgive as he has forgiven. Don't you want that? Don't you want to feel that? Don't you want to offer that to other people? Don't you want to be free? So what I want you to do right now is, as you guys came in today, there were connection cards on your seat. I want you to take that out, and I want you to hold on to it. And if you grab that connection card on it, you'll see that there's a box that says baptism. And this is the beginning of a conversation. This means that we will reach out to you and talk to you about it. This doesn't mean you check that off and immediately we're going to find you and dunk you in water. We want to talk. But this is to start the process of receiving that forgiveness. And so in a few minutes, when our offering goes by, you can drop it off in the basket or you can bring it to me after service and we can talk today. Either way, I want you to take time to really stare at this card. Because some of you need to wrestle with God right now. And you need to say, God, I'm going to let you do it. And some of you need to just give up. You've been fighting God for so long. You put up these barriers. You're blaming him for things that he didn't cause. And you're trying to forgive yourself. And God's saying, no, I can do that for you. So I want you to stop running. I want you to stop thinking that you can be the Lord of your own life. And I want you to take that step and give it to him. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And after that, we're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. And an altar is a place where an offering is made. This is a reference to the Old Testament where people would actually bring yearly, this yearly reminder of their sins. They'd bring an offering to an altar so that they could receive forgiveness. And the beautiful thing about this altar and this type of forgiveness is that when Jesus came, we didn't have to do it anymore. We talked about this last week. We don't have a yearly reminder of the ways that we fell short. We don't have to hold on to those things because Jesus says that he will take them. And so we're going to sing this song, and it's going to say, come to the altar. And it's this idea that you are in a place in your life where you need to come before God, and you need to receive that forgiveness. You don't need to bring anything. You can bring all the baggage you want. And Jesus says, I'll be that sacrifice. And so Jesus is waiting with arms wide open, ready to offer forgiveness. My hope is that when we sing this song, you take a few moments to think through the decisions that you have made and the decisions that you need to make in order to forgive, but more importantly, receive forgiveness.
because the reason why so many of you are wrestling with whether or not you can forgive that person is because you yourself don't know if you can be forgiven. Because you yourself are holding on to the pain that you have caused and the sorrow that you have caused. Jesus tells us he'll take it. And the only way we can know how to forgive people the right way is by receiving that forgiveness ourselves first. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, that you don't just teach us to forgive. It's not something that you write up and say, you go do this, and I'm going to watch. But God, ultimately, we know how to forgive because you have offered that to us. You had offered us a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning. And God, I just pray for the people that are here today that are struggling with that and are struggling with the pain that is in their life and they feel like they need to forgive or, or they can't forgive themselves. God, ultimately, I hope that people walk away knowing that there's peace because you can forgive. God, that we can't. God, ultimately, it comes, up to, it comes down to you and your ability to love us and show us what grace and forgiveness looks like. So God, I pray as we take communion and, and we sing this song, for the people here that are wrestling with that moment or trying to put those walls back up or trying to put those barriers, trying to sneak away from what you taught, God, ultimately that they submit to you, God, that they give their life to you and they receive the forgiveness and the peace and the freedom that you offer. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.